Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Good morning, Thrive. How are you today? Well, it is my birthday, so I know he doesn't look 29, and that's because I'm not. I know. I look just 10 years older than my age, so... Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great big weekend for us. Um, my son, my oldest son, graduated from high school. And, uh, and I, you know, you spend all those years going to, I was in youth ministry, and in youth ministry, man, you go to every graduation party. I remember every summer, you know, uh, for weekends on end, where you were just booked up, graduation party to graduation party. And, uh, and by the end, you're just like, oh, I... I never want to go to another graduation party again, and uh, till the next year, and then you're re- you're refreshed. You know, you're happy for them, but you're tired of their garages, and uh, and and uh, and and there's actually a great video I wanted to show today, but we didn't get to it. Um, that was my fault. Nobody else. And yesterday, but I remember always thinking like. Why are these people who kids graduating from high school, why are the parents so exhausted by the end? And now I get it. Now I'm like, man, you are not kidding. By the time you get through, it's just old man stuff. I'm just lamenting. What does this have to do with my message? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Uh, I just want you to understand my struggles. So, uh, but, but, but here we are. And so anyway, say it's been an emotional weekend. And now, now to this point... Uh, I don't know. This might be the first Sunday at Thrive where my birthday's falling on a Sunday. I think if I, I'm no mathlete, but I think so. And so, so just just very emotional in in all the good ways, but still just like you're like, wow, God, this is this is too much. Like the goodness of God is too much. There's somebody, and I, I won't go into it because I don't want to expose their story, but. Um, but somebody accepted Christ at Collins' graduation yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I had I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't. It was somebody else. And but just just a lot of different like beautiful moments like that. And Reichert stepping in the associate pastor position here, and Collins taking an inter- internship, and people leaving, and people coming. You're just like. It's too much. It's too many feels. It's too much. And so that's why I wanted a message today that was not, and that's not what God did. God said, no, we're starting a new series, and it's a series called The Remnant. And what does that mean? Well, we're going we're gonna to dive into it, but it, it's actually a very meaningful biblical term brought up a lot over and over. Um, and some versions of the Bible don't use the word remnant, but this idea is actually a term that you see from the front to back and end of Scripture. It keeps coming up over and over and over. And it, it's a feels-type sermon. It's a feels moment. We're going to start with a feels story. In the year 1555, John Rogers, a uh, Reformationist, so to speak, one of the men we can probably attribute translating the Bible 
into English, we can thank him for, along with Tyndale and others. In 1555, this man was burned at the stake. He was burned at the stake. Now, under, under uh, I believe it was uh, King Edward VI, he was welcomed. King Edward VI was a Protestant, a reformer. And he welcomed people to preach the gospel. See, the Reformation, if you don't know, okay, 500 years ago, uh, 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 roughly 500 years ago, a guy by the name of Martin Luther was a Catholic priest. Back then, that was called a priest because there wasn't other Christian churches. There was one church. That's actually what Catholic means. Did you know that? Catholic means church. So when we say Catholic church, we're actually saying church, church. (laughs) Um, He... he, he began to read the scripture some on his own and began doing some study. And he, Martin Luther stumbles across the book of Romans. And something comes alive to him like never before. And what it says is things like, you are saved by grace and not by works. You can't earn it. You can't pay off your sin. You can't buy off your sin. You can't pray off your sin. You, you and I were sinful. We broke God's laws. And we, not only that, we broke his heart. And we do that by lots of different things. By pride. That's something I don't understand in culture today. A whole month dedicated to pride. Like pride has never been a good thing in the history of the world. I don't understand why it is now. Pride is not good. Okay, sin isn't good. It's devastating to us. It separates us from God. And no matter how much it appeases something here, long term, eternally, it's, it's not healthy. Okay? Okay, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, gluttony, I battle that one some, right? It's, it's all, these things are not good, but there was a, an insidious idea that crept into the church. Just leave his picture up there for a little bit, John Rogers. There's an insidious idea that crept into the church over time that the system was somehow greater than the one who created it. And that system, the church had begun to believe that if you were in leadership, you could, you could figure out ways to deal with your sin outside of the cross. They were even selling these things called indulgences. See, if you were wealthy enough, let's say you were like, you know what? I want to go to, and I, uh, for those who are uh, younger, cover your ears, I want to go to an orgy this weekend. I want to go, and they did that back then. If you do that now, you're in like Facebook groups nobody wants to be part of. But, but back then, that was like for the wealthy and the elite. And you could do that, or you wanted to go and gorge yourself, or if you, if you wanted to cheat on your spouse, or if you went through a divorce, or whatever, you could pay for, you could literally buy those sins ahead of time. They were called indulgences. And then you were told that your sins were forgiven. And Martin Luther, in moments of studying Romans, began to realize we can't pay for our sins. Jesus did it or we didn't. We can't pray through our sins. Jesus forgives us or he doesn't. And and not only that, that grace doesn't mean uh, we don't ever sin again, but it transforms us into our wants and desires, changing us away from wanting to sin. And that's that's what the Reformation came from. Protestant, they began to protest against the church. You know the term Protestant? It means they protested against the church and, and the monarchy saying, hey, what, this isn't okay. We need to be followers of Jesus and not just the church. In that order. Right? The church is awesome when it's under Jesus. 
But when it inverts itself, it gets real unhealthy real fast. And that's what happened. And John Rogers, among others, said, hey, you know, not only that, uh, we want to interpret this for people to read for themselves. And the church didn't want that in that time because that would mean, that would mean they're going to lose some control. People can now study, because now you don't have to go to the priest for forgiveness. You go to the great high priest, which is Jesus. Can you confess your sins to me? You can, but you don't have to. Now we do that with one another for accountability and build each other up. But anyways, where's this all going? And this guy, John Rogers, what happened is another Queen Mary took over the throne after Edward VI. And Queen Mary was a devout Catholic, and she was against this, and she brought laws back into the land. Matter of fact, where you get the term Bloody Mary, it's not from back there. It's from Queen Mary, who began killing Christians, reformed Christians, who believed that Jesus completed the work, and the church doesn't do it. Jesus did it. The church just carries that work on. You follow me? You with me? That's where you get the term Bloody Mary. It's not a V8 and vodka. Is that what's in a Bloody Mary? I don't even know. Yeah, all these people are like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't drink. I've never, what's alcohol? Yeah, liars. Okay, so, and, but here's what's happened, okay. Um, I, I, I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, it's my birthday, you have to forgive me. Okay. He's so good. Okay, so, so what happened was, what happened was John Rogers was then arrested at home and then he actually put in prison and then brought before, and here's what's cool, here's a quote from him. Um, they said before his uh, execution would take place, they said the, one of the officers asked Rogers if he would revoke his abominable doctrine and his evil opinion of the sacrifice of the mass. See, see in the Catholic Church, and it depends, that being said, can you be Catholic and walk with Jesus? You bet you can. Absolutely. Because again, it's about Jesus. Okay? This is not, we are not anti-Catholic here. We are pro-Jesus. Okay? But at this time, you've got to realize the church was in a very unhealthy place. And they had, they had elevated, really they had elevated priests and the Pope above Jesus himself. Not, not directly, but very indirectly and obviously. And, and here's what happened. He said, that which I have priests preached... I will seal with my own blood. And they said, very well, you're a heretic. And he responded, that'll be known on the day of judgment. And as they carried him out, I believe there's another picture there. They carried him out to be burned at the stake. John Rogers' wife and 11 children met him on the road and through his, and through his stake burning. And maybe we don't have it. It's not an actual picture. They didn't have cameras in 1555. But they met him on the road. His wife and 11 children. Not to weep, but to cheer him on. They yelled out scriptures to him. They yelled out the encouragement of Jesus Christ. His wife and 11 kids said, go, you're doing it. You're fulfilling the call of God. It says, and I want to quote it directly. Well, 
When he was attached to the post, the fire was put under him, and it had taken hold of his legs and shoulders. He, as if feeling no pain, washed his hands in the flame as though it were cold water. So says recorded history. After lifting up his hands to heaven, not removing them from the fire until the flames had devoured them, mildly and firmly this happy martyr yielded up his spirit in the hands of the heavenly father. Even moments before his death, a written pardon was brought to him if he recanted, but he refused. He was maybe the first martyr of the Reformation. Someone that says we need to get back to Jesus and Jesus alone. And his family met him on the road saying, we're with you. You've served the Lord. Way to go. Hold on to Jesus. Cling to him to the end. And he did so in the flames. What happened in this moment of the Reformation, what happened with John Rogers was a moment of, the, of a remnant. You see, the church had gotten way off. The church and the throne, the church and politics had gotten bed together. We had lost our way. We had left the Bible. We left the truth of the Word of God. And what happens is men and women of God began to rise up saying, we need to get back to Jesus and Jesus alone, no matter what it costs, even if it takes our very lives. And this is a biblical idea. It's a moment, there was a remnant when it seemed like nobody was really serving God. They were serving themselves, the church, politics, each other, culture. There's always a remnant. A remnant, a group of people who survive a catastrophe, ordinarily ordinarily in judgment for sin. This group becomes the nucleus for the continuation of mankind or the people of God. This remnant was what God had there and pre- uh, preserved. And it goes all the way back to, back to the biblical narrative. Paul writes to the Roman church in Romans chapter 11. Now Rome, Rome is not a godly place. This is not, it's not what we know now. If you go to Rome now, you will see crosses everywhere. That's not what it was then. This was a young, passionate, biblically uneducated church. And Paul writes to them. And they're arguing over, even among the Jewish people, can Jewish people serve God? See, there's some Jewish people in the Roman church. There's a few. But can Jewish people know Jesus? These, these fights started early in the church. Some Jewish people said nobody else but Jewish people can be in. And then Gentiles who came to Jesus, who came to know Jesus, then said, can Jewish people be in? And Paul writes this, he says, God has not rejected the people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. 
Paul is saying, even in the Jewish people, there's a remnant. There are those who followed the truth all the way to Jesus. Don't think there isn't. And then he hearkens back to the story of Elijah. Elijah had been this prophet of God. He'd seen this major work of God. But then he thought, after all, after all this major work of God, he was alone and his life was in danger. And he wrestled with God. And God rebukes Elijah and saying, hey, there's a remnant. So, as you can see, way back in the Old Testament with Elijah, God tells Elijah, hey, there's a remnant. Paul is now in the New Testament telling the church, hey, there's a remnant. John Rogers in the 1500s is a remnant. And we are now in another cultural moment where you can see, you can see the splitting off of those who are going to follow Jesus or follow culture. And you and I, right now, we have to make a choice. Will we be in the remnant? Or will we be in the wreckage? Are we going to follow Jesus or everything else? There is a toxic movement in the church right now that they are calling by their definition, progressive Christianity. And it is anything but Christianity. It is a belief that we make up for our sins again instead of Jesus paying the cost. It is a belief that justice has to be done here and now and not just at Calvary. Now that being said, we are believers in justice. We believe it flows out of what Jesus accomplished, not after. We bring cold water <coughs> to the thirsty because of what Jesus brought to us in living water. We don't do it because we owe somebody. We owe everybody, and everybody owes us. It's called a sinful, fallen world. There is no making up for it. But here's the bigger problem. It is a justice with no forgiveness, which is antithetical to the gospel. If we do not believe in forgiveness, do not tell me you believe in Jesus. The cornerstone of Jesus is the cross. And it is deconstructing the church. As a matter of fact, that's the term. We've talked about it a lot. A deconstruction of what we believe. Well, the Bible didn't mean that. What's, what I find amazing is 2,000 years of church history of guys like John Rogers who poured out everything and were in our moment saying, I'm uncomfortable with that, therefore that's not what the Bible meant. Who made you to judge on that? Don't you judge me. And yet we have made a judgment on what the Bible says or doesn't say. We're the ones judging. I find it amazing that we live in a time that we get to judge God, but he doesn't get to judge us. What have we done? Where have we gone? How did we get here? But I want to start with the ideas. What Paul said to the Roman church, verse 1, God has not rejected whom his people foreknew. Don't you know the scriptures of Elijah where he appeals God has not rejected. I, I want us to be encouraged. Some of us are, are looking at our country like, what's happening? What's happening? And I get it. 
I felt the same way, feel the same way often. What is happening? I don't care which side of the political aisle you're on, right? If you're far right, far left, far middle, I don't, is that a thing? <laughs> if you're either one of those things, are you looking at our country right now and being like, I think things are going pretty swimmingly? No, we're, we're, it's disconcerting, but not just our country, the whole world. What is happening around the world? It isn't happening just here, is it? All over the world, riots, people fighting against each other in the streets. How did that happen? But here's what we need to remember. What can encourage our hearts, besides, besides God, God has not rejected the world. He's not rejected us. He's not rejected his church. There is a remnant. God hasn't forgotten us. God's throne is never empty. God is always sitting, sitting over the world as the righteous judge, as a king. God doesn't leave his kids, his faithful. I could use a cup of water if somebody can get me one. God is on that throne over us in control. When this world, when your world is shattered, falling apart, and you can't take it, he is on the throne. He is good. Thank you so much, man. He hasn't left. We're wrong to think that he's gone somewhere. God's plan isn't done. God isn't gone. If you're like, how could that happen? God, where are you? Let me tell you, on his throne, in control. Still is. Still in control. God's still good. This guy who wrote this letter, Paul, sang those songs from prison, began to praise the Lord. Now, if I was beaten and thrown in prison, I would probably have the faith that says, I think God's gone or not there, but not Paul. Paul began to lift up God, and here's what happened. That prison shook. The earth shook. The shackles came off. The prisoners came out, and, even, and they led them all to Jesus because Paul understood that when it looks the worst, God is still God. He's going to do something. Something's going to happen. God's going to move. It's okay. God hasn't gone anywhere. And in that moment, we need to begin to learn to live in the peace of the sovereignty of God, that he's in control. That's what a remnant does. It recognizes, doesn't realize, it recognizes God is always in control. You can burn me alive like John Rogers or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to be. But it doesn't matter because God's on his throne. And even this, he won't throw away. He won't waste. That's what a remnant realizes. I, here's another way, I think, of saying what I'm trying to say. Surrender, but never give up. The remnant lives their life in absolute surrender to God and never gives up. You can have everything. And I won't quit until you call me home. That's what the remnant does. That's who we are.
I do believe 100% this is a remnant church. A church that says when all else fails, when all else quits, we will hold the line. We will follow Jesus. We will hold the scripture. And yes, we will love our neighbor as ourselves. 100%. But we will love him with the real love that changes the world. Not the love that fluctuates from the world and changes day to day and definition to definition. But the love from the one that never changes. What did he say about Elijah in that scripture? What did God say? Here's what happened with Elijah. Let me tell you the story. So Elijah has this thing where 400 prophets of Baal, Baal was this horrible demon god that they worshipped, that they would sacrifice children to. Not a great god. We do that now. It's called abortion. But here's what's even worse. We don't sacrifice it to a foreign god. We sacrifice it now to ourselves. What I want with my life. That being said, if you've been there and done that, God's a forgiving God and he can redeem your story every single time. I have many a friend who've walked that journey and God's restored their life. They did the same thing. And Elijah stood up against these prophets of Baal, called fire down from heaven, and it burned up this altar. And these prophets of Baal were ended. But then here's what, here was the problem, is it got back to the king and his wife, King Ahab, and his wife Jezebel. Not a great name, tough name. If you're born with that name, I feel sorry for you. There's nobody in this room with that name as far as I know. But Jezebel and Ahab were demonically possessed. And they were against the kingdom of heaven. They were against the God of Abraham. And they basically put it out, they're going to kill Elijah. Elijah's terrified, runs to the mountains, retreats, and he's terrified. He's scared. What's going to happen to me now? I'm it, God. Matter of fact, I think I have the scripture here. 1 Kings 19. And he said, go out. Hold on. Nope, I got ahead of myself. First Kings 19. Basically, he says what he said in the scriptures. Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. Has anybody ever been the one that's like, why do I feel like I'm the only one doing something right? Just, nobody wants to raise their hand in this moment. Yeah, but, but we've all felt that way, right? And there have been times we were the only one standing on the side of what was right or true. Most people go through that at some point in life. You're not alone. Elijah felt the same way. God, I've followed you. I've stuck with you. And look what's going on. I'm alone. And now they want to kill me. It doesn't feel like great payback for following Jesus, does it? Has anybody ever followed Jesus and you're like, didn't go well. I think Matt Chandler said it this way. They're like, how many people write that book, right? Follow God. It may end badly. <laughs> right? Nobody wants that story. Nobody wants. See, we, we sit here and we're like, yeah, John Rogers in that story now. But how many of us then would have been like, you know, John, if you had just loved people better, that's what we would say now. If you had been more loving, if you just tried to be more understanding. If you had just 
packaged it in a way that they would have received it better. You know what? I am so, so, so done with saying the lost are not coming home because we're doing a bad job. Show me that in Scripture because I don't find it. Now, that being said, we can be loving, we can be caring, we can do our best to contextualize everything as best we can to reach the world. Yes, 100%. That's Jesus. He came into our context. But also, he divided a lot of people. Elijah in this moment feels alone and rejected, and partially because he didn't package the message the way the world wanted to hear it. But the message the world wants to hear is, you've done nothing wrong, you don't need God, but he's there for you in case you do. (laughs) That's the message we want. It's the message I want. I do everything right. Brian's enough. (laughs) Brian, you're good looking. (laughs) Brian, everybody wants to hire you and pay you money. (laughs) Right? Isn't that what we want? I've been here six months. Make me vice president. <laughs> right? That's, that's the message we want. Congratulations. You graduated high school now. Now be the CEO of Apple. <laughs> right? That's, a, that's the message we're told now. You can do anything you want. And then we're surprised when it comes cascading down back on us that that's not true. And that's not what happens. Elijah kind of has that faith a little bit in that moment. He does this great move of God, and then he's like, ah, God's not with me. But I'm encouraged, because Elijah saw some crazy, awesome miracles, and even he had a moment where he's like, I'm alone, God's not with me, what's going on? And here's the cool story about that. And, And I'll say this, Carol Thompson, who's a teacher at Christ for the Nations, He said this, this is a direct quote from him. He said, Satan's chief aim is to wear down the saints. The remnant doesn't become a remnant. Those who cling to Jesus when nobody else will. We get tired. I've never been more tired in ministry in my life than from this last year. And I've had some exhausting season of ministry, but this last year was the worst. And it wasn't the physical work, it was all the decisions that had to be made all the time. And those who were offended for all the different reasons. And I'm not even saying they didn't have a right to be offended. They did. And will we look back and say we did some things wrong? I'm sure. And there, but there are churches, even in this season, they will never come back, and they will never recover. But it's not because the year was so hard on them, it's because they left the one in control. They retreated to the mountaintops, they retreated uh, away from the fight, and they didn't stop and listen to the Lord like Elijah did in this moment, they just gave up. Culture's so against us. Or if it's not culture, the virus is so much against us. Virus was brutal on some people more than others. For some people, you, you, you don't understand why any of this happened. And for others of you, you think it should have been, we should have been stricter and worse. Both are your experiences, and I'm not going to argue them. 
Elijah runs away, and he's like, God, where are you? And he is wiped out. He, is, he feels like, I'm done. I'm, they're going to kill me. This is over. And here's what's cool. Here's God's response to him in that moment. 1 Kings 19, verse 11 and 12. And God says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after that wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after that, the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Another version says a still, small voice. When Elijah is maxed out, done, exhausted, and I got nothing left, and I think I'm going to die, and God, I've served you, I've followed you, I've got nothing. When the world literally shakes around him, when he sees the rocks crack, the earth shakes, all falling apart, is this God? Is this God? Was God coronavirus? First, no, that's a horrible horrible theology, but that's a different conversation, okay? Was God in, in this government or that government? No, but in this moment, what is the voice of God? The still, small voice. In the horror, in the tragedy, and in the fear, God doesn't come and lay Elijah out and rebuke him and say, how dare you? He comes and he says, hey, Elijah, He comes in a whisper to minister to his servant and his son. The remnant come and seek the face of God, and when they can't hold on any longer, they find the hand of God holding on to them. Whispering encouragement and hope. God just says, hey, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know what he could have said? What art thou doing here, Elijah? I shall tear your flesh from your body. I smite you, right? He could have. God could have, but he doesn't. He comes and meets his faithful servant who's, who's gotten off. But God is such a good God that he, underst- he understood before Jesus came. The story of Jesus isn't so, so God would understand what we go through. It's so we would understand God already knew what we go through. This story hundreds of years before Jesus is God whispering to Elijah, I know what you're going through right now. The pain and the suffering. But he also whispers to him and he tells Elijah, Elijah, you're not alone. There's a remnant. He tells him there's 7,000 who are faithful to me. I know you don't see it, but you're only seeing right here. You're finite, Elijah. I'm infinite. You're creation. I'm creator. You're servant. I'm master. You are not in control, but I always am forever. You may feel lost, but I see you everywhere you go. You're always found by me. He's encouraging him. The remnant hears from God. And the remnant hears peace and hope and life. 
We, we do need rebukes. We need moments that, that call us out. We need moments that call us to our feet and call us to our knees. But when we get there, it's a moment where God says, I love I forgive you. I am with you. I'm in control. And it is going to be okay. Not because everything around us will, God will just take control of it all and make it, you know, all just go our way and be a boulevard of green lights now. But because he is with us. That's one of his names, Emmanuel, which means God with us. There is no other belief system on the face of the earth where God comes down to us and then says, I will always be with you. The best news ever is that Jesus is right here. And he'll never leave. And if you think you're alone, what I would tell you is, you're never alone. Take the encouragement, Elijah, God. There's a remnant. Look around you and see the people of God. There's a remnant. There's hope. And God doesn't need any one of us, let alone hundreds, thousands, millions across the earth. Some of us are discouraged by things happening in China. Let me tell you what's happening in China. People are getting saved by the thousands every day in the underground church. Though they're arrested, though they're beaten, thousands are coming to Jesus in China every day. People ride on trains hours, six hours to get to a prayer meeting to call on the face of God with the people of God. You know what we would do in America? You know, I don't really, I can pray on my own. I don't even need to go to church. In China where they will die, they will go to concentration camps for this. Where they are, where they are concocting things to, to deconstruct and hurt the entire world. Where they're trying to store our data. Where they're doing all kinds of inhumane things to their own people. There are people of God in China. Let's follow their lead. There are people of God in China who know the face of God. Who seek Him daily. Who are hungry for His presence who will ride on a train for hours just to pray with other people of God. There is a remnant. The church can't pass away. We aren't going anywhere. I don't know what's going to happen in this nation. God does. But I know who's in control. I don't know what's going to happen in my own life today or tomorrow. But I know who's in control. I know He loves me. I know He loves you. And I know He's good. When nothing is good, He is. Our graduates, some of you are going off to college and some of you are staying here and, and you think you got to figure it out. Man, what I know is this could be the best season of your life, not because of where you're going or what you're doing or what you're not doing, but because you can walk with Jesus. And it is... And it is the best. Knowing Jesus really is the best. There's nothing better. If you don't have a local church, I encourage you, you can hang your hat here. We want to know Jesus here and we want to make him known.
if you do, man, I encourage you, then, then, then hang your hat there. But there's a remnant. There is a remnant, and I want to be in on it. And that's what we're going to talk about next week, what it means to be in on that remnant. How do you stay in on it forever? In the worst places in the world. I, mean, I, I know missionaries who are in Russia, China, North Korea, and other nations. They're there as other things. They, they're, they're there as other jobs. They put their lives on the line every day. And they are hungry for the things of God on the earth. And they're seeing it. I'm going to close with this. So much so, God is moving on the earth. And you, we just can't, you're not going to see it online much. You're not going to see it in the media. Because that's not the agenda of God. They have a different agenda. But the agenda of God is advancing on the earth. Not recently, in the last few years, probably in the last 10 to 20 years. Okay, in, in places, in, in places where there's uh, like a jihadist government, uh, a government that says would say if you don't believe uh, the things of the Quran, you can be imprisoned and even killed. Okay, Sharia law, but strict Sharia law. There's some nations that have Sharia law, but they'll let you practice, practice Christianity. And then there are others in places like Iran and others where if you break that law, they will imprison and even kill you. And in places like that. This is a true story, okay, where Christians aren't allowed to preach, where they are gathering in their temple in a mosque, uh, uh, Muslim priests gather to pray, hundreds of them, and in the midst of them, true story, the image of Jesus appears, tells them to repent, that I'm the true Messiah, and follow the way, and they all repent and come home. It's happened. That's a true story. That happened. God is moving it when nobody, the Bible says, if we don't praise Him, even the rocks will cry out. There is a remnant, and it's great news. He's holding on to me, and I want to be found holding on to Him. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10.